0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Church Public. I'm really glad that you joined us. We're continuing on talking Church Public, faith and politics, faith and culture. What is your role in it? How can you join into this dialogue that's happening all around you? So what are you going to do about it? Again, thanks for joining and let's get started. All right, again, welcome back to Church Public. I'm so glad that you joined us here today. We have a lot going on in this world, and there's a lot to talk about. Here at Church Public, we're talking about our faith and how we live. Public is the public life that we lead, and we all have a public life. Public is actually a synonym for politics. Politics, or politica in Greek, was taken from Aristotle's book of the same name, politica. It's about the affairs of the cities, or the things that you do in the cities, or the way that you interact with things that are going on around you, how we make decisions in groups, how we address power struggles between individuals. We currently tend to think of politics as only that thing that politicians do somewhere out there in Washington DC or the capital of your state, but politics is so much more than that. And we think about this once in a while election that you're supposed to vote in. But it happens every day in the interactions that you have. And it affects our daily life. It affects our life and our friends and our family and our coworkers. And I think people are beginning to see this. They're beginning to see that the decisions made far away, the decisions that we make, affect everything that we do. And the decisions of politicians, for example, have caused these lockdowns in several states, in several cities, across America, even across the world, And these decisions or indecisions of politicians have caused long-term takeovers in cities like Seattle or Portland. The decisions of politicians have made possible the largest group of homeless people in America is actually in L.A. That's just crazy to think about. And so these decisions that politicians are making are affecting you and me in our everyday life. And what do we do with the decisions that we have to make? What are we going to buy? What are we going to watch? What are you going to do with the power you have? And believe me, you do have power. The system that has been set in this country was intentionally designed to give you power. You have a vote. And not just a vote for president every four years. You have a vote for all of the different representatives. For your city, for the councils, for the judges. And these votes make a difference. But before we go forward and look at some of the things that are happening right now, some of the conflicts, some of the things that you need to vote on right now, you need to look back. We need to look back in time and see who we are and see why we do what we do. And for a believer, for someone with a biblical worldview, this goes back to sin. You know, sin. We're in that weird time right now where apparently taking personal responsibility is a really, hard thing it's not seen as a virtue at one point in time taking responsibility for your actions was seen as something that was important something for you to do but it's not anymore instead blaming others blaming the forefathers blaming society blaming the institution blaming the police blaming school blaming basically anything or anything else but me is favorable to looking inside myself and seeing that sometimes as much as i try to i make mistakes And those mistakes have consequences, and often those mistakes hurt others. This, in a biblical worldview, is called sin. In the Garden of Eden, when they were in the presence of God, Adam and Eve chose to abandon God. And since then, we have followed in those steps. In fact, one of the first consequences of this falling out with God was one of Adam and Eve, and the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, one of them murdered the other one. Sin escalates quickly when it is unchecked. We see that currently in Seattle, Chicago, L.A., Minneapolis, D.C. Right after this original murder, society began to organize. And in fact, it's a fairly interesting story. You can go read about it. You may have heard some about it. It's called the Tower of Babel. See, what happened was people began to organize and build this tower. And they wanted to build this tower that was so tall that they could go up to the heavens and challenge God. The whole point was to go so high that they could reach God and tell him what's what and tell him that they knew better. And we still thousands of years later continue to try to reach the heavens, continue to try to challenge God and tell him that we know better. It's in our blood. It's in our hearts. It is who we are. And God's answer to the Tower of Babel was to separate the people, to scatter them across the world and create boundaries and borders. It was this very separation that people like James Madison looked to when creating this new form of government in America that would stand in opposition to thousands of years of tyranny and government oppression. You see, most of the other civilizations in the world were kings, some good, mostly bad, Rulers, emperors, pharaohs that basically were not great for their people. Some people benefited, a lot of people didn't. And Madison, who was directly involved in setting up this system, in creating this system and these powers, knew that something different had to happen. Our Constitution, through the executive, legislative, judicial branch, slows down, and it even frustrates the process of creating new government systems. And it's intended to do so. A lot of people think that the government should be easy, and once you have an idea, you should be able to just push it through really quickly, and it's done. Actually, in fact, they created the system on purpose to slow it down to make sure that the idea was a good idea before it went through so that, again, the loudest, most powerful person was not the one getting their way all the time. Again, some people think that you should be able to push through these ideas, these new thoughts and laws and policies as fast as possible, but the founders knew this was not inherently good. Just look at Babel again. Look at then look back at politicians and those that want to bring down god those that want to challenge the morals of society they want their way and they want it now it's always been this way you know this from being back in grade school you know this from if if you were on the playground playground bullies i mean you know that those with the power want their way those with the loudest voices want their way and they want it now we're hearing these days that it's unconstitutional to appoint a new Supreme Court judge before an election. Actually, according to the Constitution, Article 2, Section 2, it requires the president to select a justice. Even the beloved Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, quote, the president is elected for four years, not three. So the power that he has in year three continues on into year four, end quote. The president nominates, the Senate confirms. It doesn't matter if it's in the first year or the fourth year. That is how the system is set up now. You can work on amendments, other things to change the Constitution. But the Constitution, as it stands, that's just what it says. That is what it is set up as. However, when you see people talking about adding justices or adding states or changing the Electoral College, what they're really talking about is removing this separation, removing the gridlock that slows down thoughts into action. And that sounds like you're removing frustration, right? So it sounds really good, but the problem is it gets back to this thing that we started with where every person wants their own way. So if you, for instance, add two or three states, all of a sudden you get that many more or multiple more representatives. And if you're the one adding states, of course the people that get selected are going to agree with you because you were kind enough to add those states. Then... If you add justices, you know, for instance, right now there are nine. The Constitution doesn't say it has to be nine. Nine is a good number for the reason that you can have four and four and a tiebreaker, etc. So you can have a majority on one way or another. You want to have an odd number. But if you add a couple of justices, and of course, again, you're picking the justices, which means you're probably picking people who agree with you, And all of a sudden, you're the majority. So now you have a majority in the Senate, majority in the House, majority of the Supreme Court. And all of a sudden, there's no more gridlock because everything is your majority. So whatever idea, as crazy as it might be, just goes right through because everybody agrees. That's not what the founders intended because then there is no check and balance of how things should go. And again, as frustrating as waiting is, sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's better not to act on exactly what your impulse is. I think you should know this, even from your own personal life. Sometimes you think, hey, I would really like to drive 100 miles an hour and get to my destination as fast as possible. But upon further reflection, maybe there are a couple of safety concerns plus laws that I'd be breaking that make that not the best idea. So the impulse that I have to do a thing that is fun and exciting might not be the best choice ultimately. And it I know it's a silly analogy, but ultimately, as you get through government, you want the same things. You want to say like, hey, should we give every five-year-old a firearm? This sounds like a great idea, right? Batter the thing through. And of course, that's not what any of the Democrats would ever say. But for instance, they did that. Some people would say, hey, maybe my five-year-old shouldn't have a weapon. Right. So, you know, the person who stands up and says, hey, what about this? They say, no, no, we got this. Boom, rammed through. You don't want that. You want the person who says, hey, let's take a closer look at this and see if it actually is a good idea to stand up and say those things so that you don't make silly ideas that, hey, you had some bad pizza and woke up with a dream and you want to do that thing. Ah, Maybe we should think twice about that. This is what was intended and what is important. Then finally, the Electoral College. Again, people are saying, let's get rid of the Electoral College so that the people who vote can elect a person. It sounds good. It sounds like, hey, that's more representative, right? But the problem is, that means the highest population centers, states like California and New York, get to decide ultimately who is, for instance, president. Instead, the Electoral College actually is an ingenious, it's a brilliant system that allows not only the highest population centers, but the other population areas as well, other states as well, to still have a voice. It elevates the lowest, which, again, going to a believer, a, a, a biblical worldview, that's what you want. You want not only the most powerful person to choose things, you want the people who are the lowest people the lowest class of society to also have a voice. You want to elevate the lowest class because what we want to do in a biblical worldview is even out the playing field and then let a person and their personal responsibility do the best that they can do. Creates this check and balance of power so that the most powerful person or voice or idea doesn't always get the votes actually puts more power to the people rather than less because any dissenting voice rather than being silenced is encouraged which in any if you've been in any relationship if you've been in any team you know that's a good thing especially if you're the one who says hey maybe this isn't the best idea maybe we should double think this before we make these decisions and i realize that america is not perfect I know, and neither am I. I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect. And I mean, to put it another way, um, America is the worst country in history, except for all the other ones. America is not perfect, but we do have a good system for governing. I've studied a bunch of the other systems, and don't take my word for it. Go and study some of these systems. Look at history. Look at the way some of these systems have been ideated, like they've been thought of, and then how they've been applied and what's actually happened in almost all circumstances, except for maybe, in some sense, Rome and and the, the Greek city-states, not the warring tribes, but later than that, those those worked out pretty good. Most of the other ones were very tyrannical, very authoritarian, very much the things that people, the masses, are saying right now they don't like, and yet they're arguing to go back to something like that. So it's this crazy double standard that I just don't think people have read enough history to know that A lot of things have been tried. Not a lot of things have worked. And again, the American government system doesn't work perfectly. There's a lot of problems with it. But we also have a process to change those things that we've been doing over the past couple of hundred years that has increased how things go in terms of leveling that playing field to allow somebody the opportunity to do the best that they want to do with the most work that they want to do. You know... Um, I recently listened to one of our state representatives talk about Jesus and how Jesus would not be accepted by the representatives of Congress. The reason given was the members of Congress, quote, use faith as an excuse to pass and uphold laws that seize control of people's bodies, but does not guarantee them health care or feed the poor or shelter the homeless or welcome the stranger. And you have to wonder if it's really about faith at all, end quote. And that sounds good. The problem is this person misunderstands faith entirely. The Christian faith, following Jesus, is not a government institution. It's not supposed to be, and it never was set up that way. The Christian faith is about personal responsibility. It's about you taking up your cross and following Jesus. It's about you going to make disciples. It's about you loving your neighbor. You care for the widow and the orphan. Following Jesus is not about letting the government do the work. In fact, that's releasing your responsibility to something else. You have the responsibility to do this. Following Jesus is about you getting in step with the Spirit of God and loving one another. The government should get out of the way for you to do this. That's, in fact, what the authors of the Declaration and the Constitution intended. They only wanted the government to go as far as to protect your rights and then allow you to do whatever you need to do. However, more and more, the government is getting in the way. It says you cannot pray in school. You cannot pray at work. You cannot fight for unborn babies to live and not be murdered. Now, in some states, you cannot even go to church without being threatened with fines and even jail in certain places. There, there have been a bunch of examples of that that I've given over the weeks, that people have been arrested for trying to sing, for trying to go to church. There are fines. There, there are several hundred thousand dollars in fines to a couple of churches in California right now. And I know there are some in Idaho and there are some uh, across in New York as well. And New York has been cracking down on Jewish synagogues and things like that. And the government is not supposed to do that. The, The government actually, according to the First Amendment, is supposed to protect your right to gather, protect your right to exercise your religion. And they're doing the opposite of that. The government is supposed to get out of the way so that you, as the individual and you, as the community, a member of the community of faith, can exercise your religion. The government's role was never intended and, in fact, never can fulfill the ideal of doing the work of the Christian faith. That's just laziness on your part. That's giving your responsibility over to somebody else. And I started with the fact that. We want to do that. We want to get rid of responsibility. And that's just a human condition. Of course, we all want to do that. We all want to do the least amount of work possible to get a result. Again, that's just a natural human thing. It's not right. We need to work hard. We were told when we left the garden that we're going to have to work. And work itself is not bad. Work gives us meaning. And if we're working for the gospel, that's the most meaning we can have. If we are helping people through our actions, through our words, through our deeds to know Jesus, that is the best possible situation. So how do we do that? Well, we have to fight with our voices and and, and use our votes to create and protect this freedom for opportunity for all people to have life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, Going back to this beginning in the Garden, in the Tower of Babel, and throughout history from the beginning of humanity, we have desired to replace God, and we continue to do that. You have the opportunity right now to join with God in the kingdom that he has placed on this earth to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with him. So how are you going to do that today? How are you going to lean in to the opportunities that God has given you, and how are you going to exercise your faith? today by showing someone how much you love them. I'm so glad that you joined us. Check us out on social media at churchpublic.com as well. God bless you and keep the faith. thanks for joining us at Church Public. I'm so glad you are listening. I hope that you like and subscribe at iTunes. You can check us out on social media, at Church Public, on Twitter, Instagram, etc. God bless and keep the faith.